0: Lifeway. Lifeway. LifeWay Leadership Podcast Network.
1: You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions podcast. I'm your host Todd Atkins, and today I'm here with Chandler Benoy Hey, hey. And I know we say this quite often, uh, but this truly is one of
0: my favorite Life. guests.
1: <laughs> A we lot of lying fame. before um, uh, Chandler's already had to endear and endure. Yeah, I am endearing, uh, but he is now enduring. A uh, random conversation uh, with Andrew Peterson. He is a uh, world class musician, world class author, and an OK, uh, okay beekeeper. Um, we were just uh, talking about that last time when uh, he was on. We talked about Adorning the Dark. We talked about the Wing Feather uh, series, which my family has read multiple times. Uh, and this summer, by the way, Andrew, when you or spring, I guess when um, COVID first started hitting, and you were reading Wingfeather Saga every night, um, that's what we did uh, during dinner. It, it oh, me, that's great! It was great. Um, we just uh, we just listened to you read that, and Wonderful. so um, I'm super excited because one of the reasons why he's on, and we won't focus on the books, I promise. Um, but one of the reasons why he's on, because you guys know we love books, all different kinds of books the wing feather, uh, series is now coming out in hardback and many will come to know him through the hardback. Uh, (laughs) I am a, a massive fan of, uh, hardback books. What? No, I'm just, are you laughing laughing. at me Chandler? Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you're having a good time. (laughs) Um, tell us about the, like, uh, tell me about the set, uh, Andrew, and then we're going to talk about, uh, bees and leading creatives and, and being a creative and all, all, all things, uh, of that nature. But
2: yeah, well, uh, so it's, it's, I guess the books came out for the first time, probably 12 years. I think it was 08 was when book one released and, um, you know, I'd been working on it for about five years before that. So it was, So I've, you know, I'm like 15 years out from when I started writing the series and, um, and it was really fun. And one of the best things about being an author, as opposed to a songwriter, I mean, I'm still writing songs, but like the shelf life of books is so much longer than Than records, like you put out a record, and uh, you know, thirty days after it comes out, people start emailing saying, "When is your next record coming out?" (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But books just kind of like hang out. You know what I mean? Like they, people can discover them, and they don't feel dated or old or whatever. Hopefully, and so uh, anyway, it's just been this like surprise part of my my life has been the fact that these books have kind of stuck around. So Random House. is re-releasing the whole set in these collector's edition hard hardbacks and so we were able to like do new covers this guy nicholas cole is this incredible artist who worked on the the wing feather saga uh short film and then joe Sutphen who illustrated the last book he went and redid all of the illustrations in all four books and so jammed him with illustrations and so just uh, about a week and a half ago is when the the second two the conclusion was released and it's just been awesome i i did the thing where i went to barnes and noble and took a picture of them on the shelf uh, that's <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) that's the phase of life that I'm in right now. So it has just been seriously like an author's dream, like you, you to have anything that you do kind of stick around for that long is a, is a gift. And so, um, so when lockdown happened in March, I was on tour in the UK and when, uh, when everything started getting crazy. And one day I found out that that they were going to close the borders and that I had like 48 hours to get home. <laughs> and at the time, <laughs> no it, stress
0: it, at all. Genuinely, it was like
2: <laughs> the kind of thing. Like, I think I could have gotten home, but at the time, you don't know. So I was like, if I don't make it home now, I might get stuck over there for weeks. And so, wow, which wouldn't, let's face it, wouldn't be all bad. Um, sure. But the, uh, anyway, so I came home and like everybody, we were just going to sit inside and it was cold outside. And I was like, what are we going to do? And I thought, well, I'll just read 30 minutes a night. And, uh, and it was just crazy. Like I could not believe how many people were tuning in. And, uh, so I would cry, you know, I would like, you know, read my 30 minutes and get online and see pictures of families gathered around, you know, their TV with their kids in their jammies and grandma's sitting there. So it was just like this great gift. So anyway, we just started again, like three days ago. So I'm, I'm, uh, reading books three and four. That's basically what I'm doing in the fall for the next two months, every night at seven o'clock, I've got a date. So
1: very cool. Well, people yeah. can do that. And if you want just a teeny tiny taste and you're one of like, I don't know, 80% of Americans who have Amazon Prime, the the short is available on Prime, if I'm not mistaken. or at least Yes.
2: Yeah. It's like a 15 minute short film that was we made as a pilot to kind of pitch to the studios to make a series. And we're actually still like way down the road of uh, I can't announce anything, but we're we're still working on that. But you can watch the 15 minute like primer uh, right now on Amazon and YouTube and stuff. It's really fun. It turned out great. The primer on prime. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Leave the jokes to me, Chandler. That, that was, (laughs) sorry about that. Sorry. (laughs) I mean, you're (laughs) a millennial. You're supposed to be funnier. True. True. Um, all right. So, uh, before we get started, we have to talk about bees because last time we talked about bees, um, and, uh, I've already busted on you a little bit um, before the but, but before we got on the air and then we decided that we should probably talk about on this on air because it's funny mm-hmm. um we last time we spent a little bit of time talking about um a documentary that I was trying to to get you to watch called the monk and the honeybee which yeah. is uh it's buckfast bees are like the best bees so there's all different kinds of bees people out there listening you want to talk animal husbandry beekeeping tobacco uh, probably not tobacco because that's not in anymore um, animal any kind of animal husbandry um, or trees I'm I'm your guy fruit <laughs> trees especially um, but we were talking about um, we were talking about bees and I ask you once again you know tell us about your bees. And, uh, you just tell us about bees and beekeeping and, and what that's been like.
2: Recently. Okay, sure. I, uh, well, I want to talk about fruit trees too, at some point. So I feel like, I feel like there's a lot, <laughs> a lot that we could talk about after this interview is over. Um, I, I have a little mini orchard on our property. Uh, not, I mean, very many, it's like three apple trees, a couple of pear trees and a couple of cherries and plums. And so I have, uh, until day before yesterday, uh, after 10 years of having fruit trees, I haven't gotten any edible fruit and it's maddening because I, I'm, I'm just trying to figure out how to do this thing. They're not working right. And, uh, and so, but my pear trees had two pears this year and I had the glorious experience of just a few days ago, eating fruit from my own trees and it was awesome, but I need help. So let's talk about that later. Okay. We can um, talk about that after Uh, but part of the reason that I, I think that I'm struggling with the, the fruit tree thing is because I don't want to spray anything on them because the honeybees are right next door and I don't, I'm worried that it's going to mess with the honeybees. So I would rather have the bees than the fruit. So yeah, I mean, I've got, I started keeping bees like six or seven, maybe years ago. And, uh, and there are, there's a certain kind of person that tends to be a beekeeper. There are these people who like really like drill down into details. They do research. They like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated by it and and I could talk about it for days. Like I always warn people when they ask me about the bees, like, how much time do you have? Um, just yawn if I start to bore you. And that will be, <laughs> that will be the, the point at which I'll realize that I'm doing that thing. Um, but I, I've noticed that like many beekeepers are the, are, like, they have bee books and they study like husbandry and all this stuff. And I just don't have that. I'm more of a feeler than like, I, I kind of like feel my way through things. And so with my bees, I almost never check on them. People ask me how hard it is, and I'm like, it's not hard at all. Like,
0: <laughs> Set it and forget it. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, there, no joke, there's like this <laughs> philosophy of beekeeping called lazy beekeeping. And I'm like, that's me all the way because I, <laughs> I, I mean, I got 50 pounds of honey this year and didn't, uh, I probably opened the hive twice, like all summer. <laughs> until the day came for me to harvest the honey. So it's kind of like, you can go really, really deep or right. you can just kind of like set them up and let God do his thing. So I, I'm more holy than you, I think probably is why mm. I'm a lazy beekeeper. Um, I trust the Lord to take care of them. That's, uh, that's none of that is true. Uh, so <laughs> the, the, but the point is I've got the bees, they're doing awesome. And, uh, and yeah, man, 50 pounds of honey is a, that's about how much I get every year. It's not enough to sell. It's just enough to like have some to give to family and friends. And, and then we almost always run out about a week before I harvest it the next year. Cool. Very <laughs> cool.
1: All right. Well, uh, I won't go, I, I won't go any further into the honey. Uh,
2: you're not going to reprimand me for, for doing it wrong.
1: No, well, I, it was just to ask you what kind of bees you have and, and <laughs> like,
2: I think they're Italian. I don't know, man. They're the kind that sting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> well, those are Russians then. The uh, Russians are really aggressive.
2: Well, we all know that, don't we? But
1: they but they produce really, really well, but they'll steal from other people. It's really but yeah, they're I, mostly up north though.
2: I think they're Italian. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, this is this
0: is uh yeah, the five you know, leadership. This is the five great. leadership questions podcast, not the beekeeping. Oh. Okay, 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 okay. So I'm going to try to steer us to the five he questions does. here. So <laughs> Andrew, uh, just hopping in here. What is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in your leadership?
2: A conflict or failure that has benefited me in my leadership. Wow, that's a good one. Um, man, there's so many. My brain just kind of like clogged up with a, p- possible answers. I think I, I would say... Um, the fact that I am not sure that I'm a good leader, uh, is probably a benefit. Uh, so, so I, I have screwed up enough, you know, I think that there's this like tendency, especially in our current climate, there's this tendency to be really afraid of being wrong. Um, and you know, it can make you second guess everything. Like if like cancel culture, that kind of that thing, like if, if you say something wrong, then, you know, what's at stake is like everything, you know? And, yeah. uh, and I've realized over the years that, that I have been wrong so many times and that being wrong is like, is, uh, one of the best things you can be. Like uh, I was, I was reading, um, reading like, and what I mean by that obviously is that, not like you should try to be wrong, but that being wrong forces you to experience mercy and humility and, uh, teaches you how to ask for forgiveness. Um, you know, I, so, so that's, that's one of the biggest things that I would say, like, um, I, I think that, um, there's a, a Pixar principle. Like I, I remember reading a book about the Pixar company and how they started. And one of their mantras was be wrong as fast as possible. Um, so they, they would tell their people like, don't be afraid of screwing up. Like, yes, go screw up, just go make things. And then we refine them and we fix it and we move on. And, uh, and so I think that there's this like myth in leadership that you have to get it right every time. And the thing that's way better than getting it right every time is, is being humble enough to know that you can't get it right every time. Hmm.
0: So looking back, is there like a specific time that you, you, you look back and you say, Hey, I was wrong in this moment. I'm glad that we, you know, I was able to have humility in that moment to pivot and be able to learn from it. Is there a specific time that you can? Yeah.
2: Recall? Oh man. There's so many times. Uh, the, the, <laughs> just the, a few. The, the, one of the biggest ones was, um, I, we, the, is he worthy was the song that came out a few years ago. Yeah. And I was so excited because the music video was was just this really well done video. The director just knocked it out of the park. And, uh, and at some point in the making of the video, it was this really chaotic one shot video where, where it was like, we had about, about, we we, knew we needed about a hundred extras and we were in a church and you know, it was a, it was a one shot thing so that every time the camera swung around, there would be more people in the church and more people on the stage and that kind of thing. And, uh, and there was a huge rainstorm that night and we didn't end up getting we only got about 30 people who answered the call and we needed about a hundred. And so it was, it was really intense, high pressure, one shot to make it. Cause we had a tiny budget. And at some point during the making of the thing, I realized that everybody in the room was white. And I, and I said something to the director who was, who was, uh, his name is Max, uh, Hsu, and uh i think that's how you pronounce it and i said hey is it weird that (laughs) that everybody in the video is white do we need to like be thoughtful about this and he was kind of like well what can we do about it we don't have time to change it right now so it's fine i'm sure it's fine and he's he's not white so he i kind of trusted him and then the video came out and i was just uh it hurt a lot of people like i got i got um uh kind of lambasted online by some people for the iron and you know the real thing was that the 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 line that i sing in the song is from revelation 5 that says uh every people and tribe every nation and tongue you know he has made us a kingdom of priests to god and so as you're sing, as i'm singing that line I'm, i think it's right then the camera pans across all of these like white faces so i don't want to get all you know political in this but it was very the irony was painful and uh and so i what i learned in that is that like uh that so what i did was the next day I was, you know, bummed about it. I emailed some friends who were in leadership and I was like, Hey, what do I, how do, what, what should I do? And they were kind of like, Oh man, I'm so sorry. This is a hard situation, whatever. So I ended up calling some friends of mine who were not white and, and saying, Hey, how did it make you feel when you watched this music video? And they talked me through how they felt and, um, and gave me a lot of wisdom. And I ended up writing an apology online that was, it was very heartfelt, and I know it's touchy. A lot of people think that I shouldn't have apologized. Whatever, blah blah blah. I know that I needed to say something, and uh, mm-hmm. and and so that that was the beginning of that. And so what it it was like in the in the aftermath of all of that, I was, you know, some people said you should take the video down, and I think that's not fair. <laughs> it's it's way more complicated than that, but mainly because if I take the video down, then I then my apology. That's online doesn't make any sense anymore. Right. Right. But if you leave, you leave the mistake up and then you also leave the, the appeal for mercy and understanding and reconciliation up, then the two together tell a story about what God is doing in me. Right. And so, uh, and you know, I, again, I don't want to like people have varying opinions on how all that's going to work. But the point is like the mistake was a refining process for me. My friendships were deepened. Um, I learned a lot about myself and I learned a lot about our culture and how to navigate things. And, uh, I learned about blind spots that I have, you know? And so, um, I, I think that's what I'm getting at. And then, you know, about a year later at, at Moot, our rabbit room conference, there was some stuff happened that I had to get up and apologize for uh, as the president of the organization. And, and I remember a friend of mine came up to me afterwards and he was like, I think, I think one of your spiritual gifts might be apologizing. (laughs) I was like, thank you so much. You know? Uh, anyway, so I I was talking to another buddy of mine about it and he was kind of like, yeah, it, it sounds like that is something that the Lord is teaching you because really it's, 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 uh, realizing that you need mercy is, is, um, seems to be very close to, uh, uh, what it means to be a Christian, (laughs) you know, uh, like, like so much of it starts with this realization that like, I need forgiveness. I, I am imperfect. I cannot do this on my own. Uh, I need, I need something from outside of me to step in and and give me grace. And so I think as a leader, you just have to get used to the fact that this is one of the things that you're going to have to do.
1: Absolutely. I I think a lot of leadership is just learning in front of people. Yeah. Um, And and that is both, you know, personally and professionally and spiritually and, you know, fill in the blank. Yes. It's, um, you know, staying current with whatever, whatever field you're in and, you know, leading in that way, modeling in that way. But like you're saying now, I mean, getting up in front of your organization, it is, it's also learning from pe- learning in front of people in that way and being um, open and honest and, and transparent in that. And, you know, I'm sure that is leadership. So <laughs> I, I think sometimes we think um, we want to put like a corporate spin um, on leadership. But if you look at the way uh, Jesus led, it was it, it was it. It certainly wasn't um, necessarily learning in front of people, um, but it was breaking things down, you know, with people and and helping them understand the situation. And um, I I mean, as far as leadership goes, I I think that's what that is. And even though you may have been um, a more intuitive uh, leader, you know, to this point, as long as you have you know clear direction values and um a vision for what you're trying to do you can be intuitive and intentional at the same time it's not one or the other
2: mm-hmm. um and, which is kind of like how i keep bees no joke <laughs> it's really. right it's like you're feeling your way through you're going to make mistakes but you're also kind of like you know the learning curve is just different you know if you do it that way you know i, I was thinking about uh I know you have other questions you want to ask, but the, I was thinking about Stephen Curtis Chapman who is a dear friend and um, a great leader. And I, Steven's one of those guys that like, I, and I don't remember, did we talk about this last time? <laughs> I, 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 I admire him a okay. lot. So he comes up. So sorry if I'm repeating myself, but the, no, go for it. the, uh, when I did a tour with him, uh, maybe five years ago, six years ago. And up to that point, I hadn't really spent much time with him, but Steven's one of those guys that like, I have never heard a bad story about, right. You guys probably haven't either. Like every, like most, you know, you live in this town, you you get to realize that a lot of people who are well known are also very human. And, and for Steven, I was just like, is this guy really as squeaky clean and as awesome as everybody makes him sound, you know? <laughs> and so I got, I went, I joined the tour thinking, very kind of skeptical. That might be too hard of a word, but like, I was just kind of like wondering, like, is he all that? And then, and almost immediately I realized that Stephen was not perfect. Uh, that Stephen would, you know, often confess his struggles. He would often confess like mistakes that he'd made. And, and, uh, over the course of the tour, you began to realize that, that by confessing his weakness, um, he was constantly drawing attention to Christ's strength And so, so what you're left with in, in the wake, like when you've got a leader who is, who is not pretending to be any, anything other than the, uh, frail human that he is, who, whose only hope is Christ, then the story becomes Jesus. Right. And so what you remember afterwards is how good Jesus is. And Stephen ends up become taking a back seat. You know what I'm saying? And so it was such a great example to me of like, um, like so, what the the story that ends up being told is, wow, Stephen's this amazing guy, um, and he is an amazing guy. But really, what, what makes Stephen uh, impressive is that he's constantly drawing attention to Jesus's strength, uh, uh, which is stronger than his weakness. And so, I, I, that's just another example of that. Like, be, like there's so much pressure to do everything right these days, and I just think that goofing up is is the only way to learn and that principle is true with songwriting and novel writing and doing concerts and being in charge of a church or whatever it is you know um so i i think we all just need to be give ourselves a break and and be okay with with uh screw-ups
1: so it's always been really refreshing to me when you know i meet uh, a, a christian leader or you know influencer, whatever you want to say at the end of the day, they are leaders. So it's always great when you meet up with them and the, the feelings, the emotions, the, you know, whatever it was you felt about them actually turns out to be the case. And and it's equally, um, it's equally emotionally disrupting when, you know, you may have met one of your previous heroes or somebody that you had a, you know, a strong feeling for what their life or ministry meant. Uh-huh. And yet that doesn't, it, it doesn't add up to whatever experience you had. And at the same time, just as you said, I mean, we're all human and we all have good days and bad days. And it, it's really not fair at the same time for me to judge, uh, for me to make judgments on that based on one experience. Uh-huh. But I'm glad you've, I mean, when you go on tour with somebody and you see them do that day in, day out that consistently, um, I I can't imagine, you know, the, the pressure that's on and day after day, the travel, all of it. Sure. uh, Yeah. You're going to get squeezed if there's, if there's stuff there, if there's issues there, um, those are going to come out.
2: Absolutely. And, and like you, uh, you get to know people pretty well on a 12 bunk tour bus for two months, you know? <laughs> um, and that's, and that in some ways is like a great picture of like, what, what, what needs to happen with leadership? Like like you, you can't put yourself in a situation where you can hide. <laughs> you have to make sure that you're, you're not hiding. There have to be people in your life who have full access, you know? And, um, and that's the thing is like, and I'm kind of, Riffing here, so I, I don't totally know if this is going to make sense or if I'm even right. Um, but the uh, but it seems like, yeah. You know what? I'm just not going to say it. I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm I'm learning. I'm learning as I get older. Like when I have a prompting from the Holy Spirit to just be quiet because I don't know what I'm saying. So I'm going to be quiet. Forget that.
0: That's really funny. Well, speaking of those you you look up to, and once you meet them, kind of seeing how their life uh, lines up who, who would you say maybe who or what has been the greatest leadership influence in your life?
2: Hmm. That is a good question. Um, honestly, I already talked about Stephen Curtis, but, um, he's one of them. I, I don't know how much to talk about this, but like I was in a situation. I think I told you guys this story last time about how "Behold the Lamb of God" the tour was always hard for me, Um, because I felt like every time we went on the tour, I was um, in some kind of weird turmoil. Like my, my. There's something about that situation triggered a whole lot of old wounds in me and and whatever and I felt terribly alone which the irony is that you're out on tour with your best friends and you're singing about Jesus every night and somehow you can still feel super lonely. And so it wasn't until I was on tour with Stephen um that I I recognized the loneliness of leadership and uh I remember telling him like because I was opening for him it had been a while since I'd opened for anybody so I was used to being, you know, the the kind of point man on a tour and now I found myself watching a point man, and i was like holy cow that guy is working hard (laughs) and uh and i didn't have to do hardly anything i just show up and sing my songs and uh and i went to him one day and i was like man i i just so you know like i see how hard you're working and it's amazing to watch you know and uh you know we hugged and it meant a lot to him that i said that and and the same and then he returned the favor he came to one of my christmas shows because our tours happened to be in the same city one time And uh, he was kind of watched the show from the balcony and he came downstairs afterwards and grabbed me like a dad. And he was just like, he was like, no wonder you're, you know, you struggle on this tour. He was like, the devil hates this tour uh, because you were singing about Jesus from start to finish, whatever. And he hugged me and I just burst into tears. So having someone um, who's in like, it made me realize how important it is to have at least a few people in your life who know intimately the, the, the role that you play. You know what I mean? Um, So that you can commiserate and you can feel like you need somebody to tell you that you're not crazy for feeling the things that you're feeling. Um, You don't want to surround yourself only with people who are, you know, in that role um, in the same uh, situation. But like, it is good to have a few people that you can call and be like, hey, I'm going through this thing. And you're the only one I can think of who really knows what it feels like. Um, And so he's just one of those guys for me.
0: I think that's very helpful advice. And, you know, maybe somebody listening has been wanting to, they want to reach out to somebody and say, hey, you are that person who I can talk to about this. So maybe that was the kind of the story that they needed to hear to be able to find that type of person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, you mentioned the Behold the Lamb tour and... Um, is is, this year's a special year, right? Is that right? Is this the 20th year or was that last year?
2: Yeah, last year was the 20th and this is the, this would have been the 21st tour, but then COVID.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) So just hearing you talk about that, I mean, we're, we're recording this with a, with a month or two until the Christmas season begins. I mean, what does that look like trying to, to navigate, you know, something that has been some, you know, 20 years running Mm-hmm. How are you guys trying to navigate that and still provide that type of experience for those who want to experience it?
2: Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it, there's one part of it. It's like, it'll be my first time being at home in December for 20 years. So that's kind of fun. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, and so my wife is pretty pumped about that. Um, but, uh, I was just talking to my buddy, Ben Shive, who produced the record, uh, last year we were talking about how sad it's going to be because we've had this rhythm in our lives where these friends that are all, you know, we're, we're all busy all year, but then, you know, for a month of every, every year we get to see each other again, you know, and hang out and make music like we have for years. And so I'm really going to miss that. And, uh, but the good news is like we had, you know, the church, the shows that the churches all around the country got canceled, um, just because there was too much uncertainty. It was too hard to like, plan a whole tour if we didn't know if they were going to be canceled at the last minute because of COVID, blah, blah, blah. And so, but we, we kept the Ryman show. So we have, we have, we had already paid the deposit to secure the, the building, you know, so we were like, what do we do? And we found out that we were kind of like, well, why don't we just live stream it to an empty room? Since we have the, we've got the Ryman for the day, we might as well just like get together and play the show. And so that's what we're going to do. We're going to live stream, um, the show and hopefully, you know, all the churches that we couldn't come to the people will tune into the live stream and, and watch the show. Um, and then just after that, we found out from the Ryman that they are allowed to put 500 people in the room mm-hmm. and so socially distance the audience. And so we're going to have a small crowd and, uh, and then just do it up on a live stream. So I'm super, I, it would have felt so weird, um, because that, you know, getting to sing about the incarnation is like um, like the first part of the story. And then now at Easter, I I do the resurrection letters tour and I get to sing about the resurrection. So singing about the incarnation followed by the resurrection is like the anchor of my whole, uh, life right now. Like that's that, if that's all I did for the rest of my career, I would be thrilled. Um, and so I'm so thankful, thankful. I would have felt so weird to not get to not get to do it this year.
1: Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to take a hard right turn, uh, and bring us back to our questions. Uh, I mean, Chandler and I, we could just, we could riff and, and talk and I'm sure people would enjoy that conversation, but I also want to, to, uh, you know, ask a couple more of these questions that we, we have for you. And that is what book would you gift yourself as a young leader?
2: I think, uh, two books popped into my head. The first book that popped into my head is walking on water by Madeline L'Engle. Um, it was a profoundly formative book from a theological standpoint, because I didn't know how to think about my life as a songwriter or an artist, um, through a spiritual lens. Uh, I had a kind of a lot of vague opinions, but I didn't have anything to really anchor it in until I read that book. Um, and, she, I agree with almost all of it. Um, but it is, it is, uh, was really formative and I would guess that it would probably be formative for anybody, whether or not you were a, a creative person, you're an artist. Um, I think it has got a lot of great principles in there. Um, so that's the first one. And then I also thought of, um, wow, I, I just thought of another, another book, but the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, one of the books that was had a huge impact on me was, um, a grief observed by CS Lewis. Um, and the reason that had such an impact on me is that a friend of mine, Russ Ramsey, who's a, who's an author and a pastor here in town, he wrote a book called struck, which was about Russ's, uh, encounter with death because he had open heart surgery and he kind of kept a journal, uh, during the course of it. Um, and, uh, and then I hit my midlife kind of weird midlife crisis depression season a few years ago. And, uh, and Russ bought me a grief observed and said, read this book. Like C.S. Lewis is writing about the death of his wife, obviously. Um, but there's so much rich, uh, uh wisdom in the book. Um, because really, you know, for me at least, like tipping into, my 40s meant, uh, it wasn't the death of a person. It was like the death of some dreams. And it was the death of some, like, there were things that it felt like there were things in me that were dying to make room for something else, uh, that God had for me. And when you're in the thick of it, it is very disorienting and painful. And, uh, and I realized thanks to Russ Ramsey, that what I was experiencing was a kind of grief that I was grieving something. I just didn't know what I was grieving for. And so reading the C.S. Lewis book was like really, really helpful to kind of like give me words and help me understand like uh, to not just commiseration, but also hope because it was pointing toward the fact that Jesus is doing some good work in me through this grief. Um, you know, like we, we don't grieve like those who have no hope, right? And so, uh, so that was a big one for me because, you know, as a young man, you just kind of think everything's going to go great. You know, like I remember my first record came out in what was it 2000 and I had a big single and uh, you know, got a royalty check for the single. And I remember we had a baby in diapers and my wife and I were like, this is going to be so easy. And, uh, (laughs) and then, you know, nine 11 hit and I lost my record deal. And, you know, there've been so many ups and downs over the years that like, by the time I hit 40, there was just this massive, um, kind of this tidal wave of grief just like slammed into me. And it wasn't just career stuff. It was childhood pain and, you know, watching my children's grow into their own, you know, uh, adolescence and then adulthood and knowing that that also meant that they were going to suffer one day and all of this stuff, like all got kicked around inside me. And so anyway, all that to say that like, um, I I would give the young version of Andrew that book and say, Hey, read this so that you're not so shocked when it happens.
0: Hmm. Well, I know for many listening, what, what type of course they would want to maybe take from you, but for you, if you could teach any course on any topic, what would it be?
2: Um, I would say the, the thing that I have enjoyed teaching the most is, uh, um, uh, because I've done a few college level courses over the years and um, they're usually, uh, you know, there's a songwriting and theology course that I taught for Johnson university earlier this year that um, it's, it's supposed to be about songwriting, but really what it's about is um, the creative life and kind of about like how, how to move th- through life, thinking, thinking of yourself as uh, called to make. And, and one of the big thrusts of that is that everybody is creative. You know, it's one of the reasons I soapbox all the time about how we shouldn't use the word creatives. We should say there are creative people, sure, but everybody is creative. Like uh, every single human being, there's not a class of creative people. And, uh, and so helping people see that no matter what their gifting is, they are called to speak light into the world and bring order out of chaos and uh, build the kingdom of God. Uh, in a creative way no matter if you're a songwriter or a or a you know pastor or whatever which we talked about with adorning the dark that's one of the thrusts of that book but i get i get fired up talking about that because i think i think um i think people need to be given permission sometimes to to think of themselves as creative they don't they don't realize that they have this like bright fire of the image of god burning in them that the world needs that light. And so helping people wake up to that is, is exciting to me.
1: So, so I find this, this is a great subject for us because, you know, people listening, they know me as a former executive pastor who loves to take business uh, processes and ideas and then, you know, contextualize them for the church. And I could be Sometimes um, I'm not, but you know, maybe labeled as a pragmatist or something like that. Um, but what I love about what you're saying here is when I look at Ephesians two uh, eight and nine, and then you know, we say, okay, well, everybody knows that. Now let's look at Ephesians two ten and talk about we are His workmanship, and and in that you know, uh, work of art, really. When you start to really get under there and what those, uh, what the Greek means and, and all that. So it's fascinating to me that we're made in the image of a creator and yet, um, we don't position our churches to do the damage for the kingdom in the local community that God has placed them in. Um, we are more concerned with building a, a, an audience than an army. And when, when you think about the creative elements, I love how you say create, create, creatives aren't a special class of people. That just being created in the image of God means that it's there. But it is to what purpose? And the purpose is glorifying God. And, and so uh, talk to me a little bit more. If that spurred any thought, uh, I hope it did. <laughs> but does, does that spur anything for you when you look at you know, when you look at it from a scriptural standpoint and from uh, who we are as being created in the image of God, what does that, what does that mean?
2: Well, it just means that, um, that you can't help it. Like the, the way that I usually think of it is that you're, you're always building a kingdom. <laughs> and the, the question is, whose kingdom are you building? Like everybody is always like, because it's in us um, to make, that I think that no matter what you're, you're always, um, your energy is going toward either your own kingdom or the kingdom of darkness, or it's going, or it's being submitted to, um, the, uh, furthering of God's kingdom. And so, uh, I don't know. I just, I I have a real heart for two kinds of people. Um, the, the first is the misfit or the artist that doesn't think that there's a seat at the table in the church for them. Right. Um, because I felt that way for so much of my life. Um, until I was 18 or so, I just kind of assumed that I would never be in any kind of ministry because I was a nerdy kid that liked fantasy novels and comic books and movies and rock and roll. You know, um, there's a, you know, it's, it's an oversimplification of Van Gogh's story, but a lot of people don't realize that Vincent Van Gogh was a Christian who was desperate to teach the gospel to the poorest of the poor. And, he kind of put his art on the side and gave himself to going and trying to preach to the, to the poor people in the, and I think he was in Amsterdam or in Holland when he was doing it. And, and he was just met with frustration and the church kind of hurt him in a lot of significant ways. And he ended up abandoning the church and just pouring himself into his art. Um, And I've wondered many times, what if someone had told him, Hey, guess what? Like maybe God made you to be an artist. (laughs) (laughs) and not, and like, you know, he was functioning under this, uh, this, uh, this paradigm that said, well, if I want, if I love Jesus, then the only thing that I can really do to serve him is to go and preach good news to the poor. He didn't really think of the fact that his art could be a way to preach the good news to the poor. Right. And so, um, I, so, so I've thought that same thing, you know, like if someone had told me when I was in high school and I was geeking out over Batman comics or Spielberg movies or whatever it was, if somebody had been like, Hey, let's talk about how these things are telling the truth about the gospel. Let's talk about how ways that ways that you and your gifting could be a part of the kingdom. It would have just widened my imagination for what was possible. Right. But as it was, I, I spent years just kind of like, um, uninterested in the life of the church because I didn't think there was room for me there. So all that to say, I have a real heart for people who, who think that I want to surprise them by saying, no, 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 the church needs artists. The church needs you, uh, to tell the truth in the way that only you can, you know? Um, so that, that's one kind of person that I, that I am passionate wow. about. The other kind, um, is, are, it's people like my wife who, um, she is wonderful and hardworking and, uh, just kind of accidentally married into the life of uh nerdy artists in nashville you know she didn't (laughs) like she never would have chosen this like i like it's not like she's upset about she loves it here but like um you know if you told her in high school like hey yeah you're gonna be your husband's gonna be a part of a ministry called the rabbit room that's kind of nerds out about you know poetry and painting and (laughs) all this she would be like what are you talking about like her she like you know her dad his favorite show is Andy Griffith. And, and with good reason, Andy Griffith is amazing, but like, it's just very salt of the earth, like that kind of thing. It's not, not a place where you can have like these big lofty poetic conversations about Coleridge, you know, and transcendence. And so, uh, so bless her heart. Jamie, uh, is, um, she tends to think of herself as, as not creative, not an artist. Like she's kind of like, Oh yeah, you guys are doing your, your artisty thing over there. I'll be here with my friends, like all the wives we'll we'll gather over here, whatever. And, uh, but the thing is, the reason I'm so defensive of her is that my life is immeasurably more beautiful because of her. Like my life is richer and more ordered and it smells better. Like I just told her last night, uh, uh, she was, she's the kind of person that like, if she, she washes the, the laundry or if I do the laundry or something and the, and the dish rag smells a little bit off even though it's just come out of the dryer, she will wash it again because she's like, yeah, I think maybe there was, it didn't get, it didn't take for some reason. And for a dude, I'm like, it went through the wash. It's fine. You know, like I can just brush the dirt off of it and I would be fine. So I was just telling her how thankful I was like, I'm so thankful that I have you because I would be living in a, you know, this, this, like I would be happy living in a shed. And so the fact that, we are married means that I get to live in this beautiful home that smells like Yankee candles, you know? And so, <laughs> so all that to say, like Jamie, her, her, her tendency, she, she's like, she loves interior decorating. So like our house, like for years, the couch would be in a different spot or pictures, different pictures would be on the wall, or I would, I would come home at night after tour and stub my toe on a chair that wasn't there when I left, you know, because she had, she has this deeply God-given Uh, creative impulse to make the world around her beautiful and by extension the people she loves you know and so that is the image of God bearing itself out in my wife my creative wife so that's why I get it's kind of a trigger to me when people say oh well I'm a creative because what it implies is that my wife is not And I want to say, have you smelled my house? (laughs) 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 Like, like this is like deep creativity on full display. So that, that's kind of what I'm getting at is that, uh, you know, and for you, if you were more in the business side of things, like thank God for good businesses. You know, my, my friend Gabe, uh, opened a restaurant in Nashville called ladybird tacos. Have you guys eaten there yet? No, I've heard of it. I oh, you've got to go to Ladybird. It's the best. It's like Austin-inspired tacos, and uh, it's just lunch and breakfast, and they're so good. I can't even tell you. But Gabe, who plays Hammer Dulcimer and Dobro in the Christmas shows, he's been dreaming of opening a restaurant for ten years, and he finally did it. And uh, and every time I've ever been to Ladybird, I've seen a friend of mine. And uh, because it's like his dream was that the restaurant would be a blessing to the community. So Gabe's God given creativity, which not just includes uh, doesn't just include the best guacamole in Nashville. um, He made guacamole every day for a year to perfect the recipe right? That's creativity. You know, that's absolutely creativity, but also his business partners who came up with the business plan, that's creativity. And the outflow of that creativity is the fact that you have this blessing to the community where now I see my friends more often than I did before, you know? So anyway, I, I'm belaboring the point, but you get what I'm saying that I, I think all of that falls under the category of, uh, uh, let us make man in our image. Uh, and, and then God says, go and bear fruit. Right. And so part of the fruit that we bear is, is, uh, communities and, uh, art works of art and homes and families that reflect the intention that God had for, for, uh, the earth all along.
1: So good. Well, uh, just thank you for sharing with us. It's always, uh, always a pleasure and always fun and always challenging for me personally, when, we have a conversation with you. So uh, just thank you so much for being on. We can't wait to have you back. Um, thank you, Todd. And and uh, for listeners, um, man, there's so many things for you to check out. Wingfeather Saga, uh, the, the trilogy, that set. Perfect, perfect Christmas gift that I will probably be picking up for someone in my home um, <laughs> who doesn't listen to this podcast because he's 11. Um, <laughs> and then also... Uh, the hold the lamb tour check that out uh yeah uh, and a very very helpful resource that um it goes with this last question that we just asked um, is adorn in the dark that book really will help you process that whole conversation that we just had and so thank you so much for listening please hop on to itunes and leave us a rating and review while i talk to andrew about his apple trees
2: thanks bro <laughs> thanks y'all yeah We'll